Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's time once again for the DC Comics News podcast. This is episode number 49. Here to agree with me is my co-host today, Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, can you say hello to everyone? Hey, everyone. Nice. And I'm your host, Seth Singleton. And really, I'm about to do the one thing that Brad and I probably enjoy uh, as much as anyone who loves comics all the great things that come from them, whether it's the movies, the television, or just more about the books themselves. We're going to talk about the news that has caught our attention, that our brilliant editor has put together for us, and that we now get to share and talk about with you. And it's all part of what we do on a regular basis here at the DC Comics News Podcast. Stay tuned to the end for all the ways you can subscribe and get in touch with us, especially because... If you like what we're talking about as much as we do and you like listening to it, well, maybe you'll like sharing all of your opinions with us. I'm looking forward to hearing them. I know Brad is, too. Let's quit monkeying around and jump right into it. We're starting off with the fact that Warner Brothers just teased the new Wonder Woman 1984 trailer. Now, I, of course, was stumbling all over myself a little while back in one of our episodes about, well, when are we going to get a chance to see it? And Brad so rightfully reminded me, hey, Seth, they're going to have the Comic-Con in Brazil. Dude, they're going to show it then. We're going to get more about it. So this teaser was clearly setting up that reminder because people like me forget things like that. Brad, what, what was your take on this little sneak peek here? Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. I, I kind of like that scene where the bullet pops out of the gun. She deflects it with the Ooh. with the wristbands. Uh, I, I, I dug it. So, yeah, I think I think that this will uh, break the Internet as much as Baby Yoda. No, maybe not that much, but uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's definitely get a get a lot of play. Yeah, and, you here, know, here's, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say that it's funny. By the time most people hear this, depending on when this podcast goes up, everybody will have seen it already. So uh, keep in mind, listening to this, that we that you know that we haven't seen it yet. So yeah, but I'm looking for it to be pretty good. Yeah, we're coming to you from the past. There's a strong chance that you're already going to see this by the time it goes up, although Josh is extremely quick when it comes to editing. So you could be listening to this while watching the trailer and just sort of have one of those mind-blowing experiences. It's it's possible. Um, Brad, thanks for bringing up the bullet smack. That was probably one of the coolest <laughs> ways to set up that trailer. For those of you who haven't quite seen this teaser yet or will get to see it later or wondering what we're excited about um, – Look for the trailer. It's really easy. It was just a teaser. And it's when she's popping the uh, the barrel of the gun, therefore ejecting a bullet out of the chamber. And as it pops up, she then smacks it <laughs> so effortlessly. And it's one of the, the, the probably the smoothest scenes that you get to see in this quick little trailer. Anything else that popped out for you that really sort of like, you know, made you go, oh, hey, I'm going to remember that. You know, I just I liked a lot of the scenes with the lasso. You know, the things with these kind of teasers, they're cut so quick. You almost need to watch it on slow motion to catch everything. So I, I almost was trying to take it in as a whole, uh, you know, just to try to kind of get the feel for what the movie is going to be. And, uh, you know, judging by that, I think we're in for a treat. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I felt that there was so much uh, just feeling to it that that immediately made me think, wow, this this is really going to live up to the expectations it's been setting since, well, last summer. What was it? 2018 Comic-Con when they gave the sneak peek. 
And oh, yeah. people there finally got a chance to see, you know, but it wasn't released online in any way. So unless you were there, you only had the stories told, uh, you know, by a firsthand account, if you're lucky, usually a second or third or a varied set of accounts. And it sounded very interesting, although much of what I heard from that account wasn't what I saw in this teaser. So I'm intrigued by that because I think we're going to get a chance to see more. But overall, I agree with you about the tone, the sound. I love the little flash of a classic 80s song there to sort of tail it off right at the very end. Uh, the colors and a few of those great images that felt like they were right out of a, a storyboard for an old 80s movie. Um, it, it just gave you that feeling to it. I don't know if they were doing something with the uh, filter for the screen, too. But there was something about her running down what appears to be like a hallway and it might have been like marble. And as she begins to slide, I thought to myself, interesting. The picture is almost kind of grainy, like it's an older stock footage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it reminded me of like a TV program from the 80s when the resolution wasn't quite as fine as it is now. So I'm interested to see how other elements of that can start to play into if maybe what we saw was actually an image someone captured on a video camera or something else like that. And we got to see the stylized approach. It should be a lot of fun when we get to see the real one. Clearly, as you can tell from Brad and I, pretty excited about the fact that starting tomorrow, we have a chance at getting to see the full trailer. This teaser just a bit of an appetite, just a bit of a, a warm-up for us. Um, before we shift gears, last chance before we uh, move on, anything else that stuck out for you besides the overall tone and the bullets, Mac? Yeah, that's what that's what grabbed me. And, Perfect. You know, just, yeah, I'm just excited. Been waiting for this trailer for a while. Yeah, it's about, it's about time. But yeah. we only have until tomorrow. Let's see whether or not we can be patient. In the meantime... More movie news stories coming our way, uh, including the announcement just recently that Peter Sarsgaard will be joining Matt Reeves, the Batman. Uh, Matt Reeves took to his Twitter account to make an announcement and uh, welcome Peter Sarsgaard to the cast. And uh, it's a cute little, you know, uh, gif. And there is, of course, the mention that this isn't his first DC project. He played Dr. Hector Hammond in 2011's Green Lantern. But clearly, this is a different approach. I doubt he'll be playing that same character. Who he will be playing, I haven't heard any hints, but overall, Brad, what was your take on the announcement that he'll be joining the cast and what this could mean for uh, his role? First off, he was the one thing that redeemed Green Lantern a little bit in my mind. I walked away from it not hitting it like most people did, but kind of giving it a pass because I, I liked his performance. And as far as reading this article, before I even got into it, I thought he'd probably make a good Harvey Dent. And that was one of the things that they focused on is that it's rumored, but not confirmed. So uh, I, I think he would make a good Harvey Dent. And, you know, and this this cast just gets more and more impressive. I, I mean, if this if it can deliver on this cast, I think I think this. uh this could really be a new start for Batman on film. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed. So, yeah, when it comes to Peter Sarsgaard, I, I have to agree that he's got the range. And he definitely was a high point when it comes to uh, the Green Lantern film. 
I'm curious because I think that what really sticks out for me is the fact that, well, if you're going to play Harvey Dent, you've got to have some real range. And you have to be aware of the sort of foundation, which is this law-abiding citizen, this actually executor of the law, as a foundation. And then how far away from that you end up becoming to take on the, the later persona as he becomes a Batman villain. And I think Sarsgaard's got that range. He's got those chops. But I really like what you pointed out is that he's just another addition to what seems to be an all-star cast. And he might have a shot at playing an all-star character. All of these things setting up a lot of great expectations and promise for this new Batman film. And I thought you really brought up an interesting point that we could be seeing an entirely new take and through it a really great new take on what we've already known to be a great series of Batman movies to proceed in. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the final announcement is, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are as to whether or not, well, you think this article is right, whether you think Brad is right, and knowing that I have yet to weigh in on whether I think that's what's happening or not. Am I chicken? I don't know. You can call me chicken if you want to, but you got to do it in a way that I know. Otherwise, you're just mumbling to yourself. And we are going to keep talking about more about the Batman world because really new information is coming out quite quickly. The newest one is that Warner Brothers has released a series of Birds of Prey character posters. Each one is a great shot that sort of almost like a playing card. It, it gives you that character in their environment with all of their tools at their disposal. Each one very significant, each one standing out, very unique. Brad, what was your take, my friend? I, you know, one of the things that frustrated me about the, um, the trailer is that it focused on Harley so much, and for good reason, that I didn't really get a good feel or you know, glimpse of the other characters and these posters, it was really cool to finally see these other characters kind of popping at me, uh, full color and just, you know, what they're going to look like. And I, and I, I dig it. I dig the designs and the costumes and the whole, you know, between the trailers and everything, it just has such a cool edgy feel that I really, this should be a lot of fun. This movie, I kind of can't wait. I'm going to agree with you in that really one of the things that was difficult to get from their early glimpses through the trailer was a sense of who these other characters were. Harley Quinn yeah, has already exactly. sort of made a dent on everybody's consciousness. If you if you saw Suicide Squad, if you saw anything to do with it, if you saw any of the memes that came out afterwards, you are familiar with who. And if you know who Margot Robbie is, Robbie, I can never say her name right, and I might never get it right, but... If you know anything about her, you're familiar with her role as Harley Quinn. So we've got uh, a good amount of that. What do we know about the other characters has been more difficult until these posters. And I think you point something out that's really important is that we now get a chance to see sort of each of them showcased. Uh, I'm intrigued overall just because the great thing about these still images is there's time to study during the trailer, the quick flashes we got weren't enough to reveal as much as you might hope. And with these posters, I feel like you get a chance to sort of take in a lot more about the characters and recognize that the point of that poster is to relay as much as possible without writing it all down for you. So it spells it out. 
And that that leaves a lot of great fun for the imagination. So I really like the way they were portrayed. I like the way each one gave just enough about the character to catch my interest and to raise a few questions, plenty of which I'm hoping to be answered when we finally get a chance to see the film. Keeping in mind, of course, it will be out February 7th, 2020. That's one year from the February coming up. Patience, patience is a virtue. However, in the meantime, there is a little bit to help us keep things at bay and potentially, you know, occupy most of our waking hours because I think this is one of those films you can watch over and over again, obsess about, and then find new details to obsess about. I'm talking, of course, about how the Joker will be coming out on digital release on December 17th with the discs coming out all the way in January 7th of 2020, hence the new year. Brad, what was your first response to this announcement? And are you a digital guy or do you like physical content? I, I would, I, I'm moving over to the digital. Um, I just, I'm more of a streaming guy, not necessarily a own something on digital. But I think that it is smart to at least get one of these out for the Christmas season. And I think it's very, very reflective of the fact that most people go digital now. Because if not, they would definitely have the Blu-ray DVD out before Christmas because that would be something that is probably going to be on a lot of people's Christmas lists. So now that everybody's going digital, as long as the digital copy's there, they can still give it as gifts and things like that. So I think that that really says something for how people are kind of consuming media. But that's you know kind of something that, that we've known about for a while. But I think that uh, even on Blu-ray and DVD, I think it's going to sell a lot. So, um, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I will say that this is a movie that I probably will get on Blu-ray. Um, so yeah, when, when January 17th rolls around, I'll definitely be uh, picking this one up. Now, are you going to go ahead and break down and get the digital copy first and then follow up with the physical copy? Because who wants to wait three weeks? I don't think I will. And that, and, and, I've, and I've talked about this before on, on the podcast and with you is just that there is so much media to kind of keep up with that between now and January 17th, there's so much new stuff out that honestly, I wouldn't have time to get back to it before then anyway, with all the other stuff that I want to catch up on with, with, you know, crisis coming out and, you know, and things like that. So yeah, I think that I can uh, I can hold off. Nice, impressive display of patience and a good <laughs> reminder of just how much there is right now. It's almost like a uh, a oh, there's a great phrase for this, and right now I'm simply not an embarrassment of riches. That's what the one I think I'm thinking of. The fact that we've got so much great material to consume, and more and more, it seems like every day, as you mentioned. We'll have uh, some discussion about some of the information coming about about the upcoming crisis and also really everything else that seems to be just happening around us that says, yes, you should be watching this. And if you didn't catch it at the beginning, Brad was pointing out, you know, our young Mr. Baby Yoda and the response the Internet has had to that. So. Even if it's not DC products, there's plenty of material out there that probably catches your nerd fancy like it does mine. 
like it does Brad's, like it does everybody else on our staff. And depending on what side or spectrum of the nerd world you fall on, these things are going to take your attention. So if there's enough of that in your, well, your queue to keep you entertained until January 7th, you might just have the patience to hold out until the physical copy. But should you struggle with impatience, be that kid who has to open their presents on 1201 Christmas Day, Guess what? December 17th, you can go ahead and get the digital copy. The choice is up to you, and I can guarantee you right now, one, I'm not going to judge. Two, you don't have to share. And three, if you do share, again, at the end of the episode, we leave you with all the best ways to let us know just what you're thinking, just what you're doing. And if you just have a little bit of guilt you want to let go of and know that it's a shame-free environment, right? I can't guarantee whether or not we'll get the physical or the digital sometimes these decisions aren't made by me i have others to answer to however if we do get the digital first you can anticipate a strong possibility that i'll get the physical copy anyways and this way everybody's happy i don't know how you do it in your household that's the way i see it happening in mine while we have a little bit of time for you guys to work it out, and if this is time for a good family discussion, I understand. But if you don't have to dive into that conversation, we're going to take a quick ad break. And this is a great time for you to learn about everything going on at DC Comics News, all the content you should be aware of. Because if you like what you're hearing now, well, you probably are going to like everything you're about to hear in this ad. Stay tuned with this as we come back with our TV and streaming news and, of course, that great source material more and more about comics. I'm Seth Singleton, your host. I'm with Brad Felicki. We'll be right back after this ad break. Thanks for your patience. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And just like that, we're back. You're here on the DC Comics News Podcast. This is episode number 49. Perhaps an opportunity to quickly point out that we will have a special guest appearing on episode number 50. And before that, a chance of another special guest episode. So I would stick to the end. And if you're not already subscribing to the DC Comedy Series podcast, listen for all the ways you can do that. Trust me, these are some episodes upcoming you won't want to miss. Something else you're probably not missing is all of the information rushing towards you about the quickly approaching Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. It's now following a great tradition that has really made the crossovers an amazing experience. Whether you loved Invasion or Elseworlds, Crisis on Infinite Earths promises to be so much more than what we've seen before. And Brad, clearly with this new trailer, we're going to see a lot of things we didn't really expect. 
What was your take on this newest trailer for the Crisis on Infinite Earths upcoming crossover? Uh, you know, uh, another trailer with a lot of quick edits and quick cuts. Uh, but and I think that you will probably agree with me. The thing that stood out to me was that iconic shot of the death of Superman with his cape kind of blowing in the wind that was taken directly from the death of Superman comic that that kind of blew me away. So that was the, that was the thing that grabbed me. And it was fun to see like Brandon Roth being uh, Superman again, you know, those little things. And it seems like Supergirl and Batwoman are going to have a lot of cool interactions. So, yeah, but that but that image of the death of Superman really stuck with me. I agree. That's an iconic image. I can to this day remember that comic book cover and the way it all sort of just stuck with everyone who couldn't believe that somehow in comic books Superman had died. And seeing that portrayed on the screen and with that little Lex Luthor banner underneath and <laughs> all of those elements that just make you think to yourself, wow, that's that's something in comic books that changed what we thought we knew and, and also where the limits really were. But also touching on how iconic that moment was and how the chance to show so many other iconic moments. I mean, you remember Crisis like I do. It's easy to picture each one of those covers and wondering whether or not they can storyboard those shots into this crossover. <laughs> how much of that great, you know, I mean, whether it's Superman holding Supergirl, whether it's and, and however they might change it based on how the CW is going to end up telling the story or which version of Superman or Supergirl is portrayed to sort of be the, the television or streaming version of that classic cover uh, or whether it's, you know, the death of the Flash, all of those great moments from Crisis that that we have an opportunity to see played out here and yet also with these great twists. As you pointed out, we have this wonderful uh, possibility team up with Supergirl and Batwoman, a new world's finest. Um, also, Brandon Roth really did that great thing, portraying the idea of hope and how that was always the one thing that, that allowed the DC characters to soldier on when, as you pointed out, you know, so many things are going on. And I also got a kick just seeing some of those things that I, I wondered about what it would be like to see it on the screen, like the shadow demons or other elements from the books that I, I thought, wow, they're going to have to do it a certain way in order for it to work. And I think they might have come up with the right recipe based on this trip. But quick cuts, time to, you know, absorb what we can. And once the uh, first episode starts, we'll actually know what we're really getting into. Now, usually with CW shows, there's a feeling that you do know what you're getting into, but a new trailer featuring the Legends of Tomorrow team and their upcoming season five suggests that even if you are familiar with all of the weirdness that has come from the show, whether it's the puppet episode, one of my personal favorites, or the way it continually references its own history and all of the weirdness that those elements have, this trailer suggests that even that will not be enough to prepare you, especially when it comes to Ray Palmer as Mr. Parker. Brad, what's your take on all this? <laughs> oh, Mr. Rogers is very of the moment right now. Um, and the Mr. Parker is just a, a great send off and they're having so much fun with it. Uh, 
And who doesn't love puppets? Uh, and that's what, <laughs> and that's what makes Legends such a fun show. Uh, in similar ways, you know, to the puppets, like in the Angel episode, the the concept of the show allows for that kind of playfulness and character development that is so much fun. So I think, yeah, this season looks like it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I agree. I, I've always loved the cast from the original formation of the team and all the variations that we've had so far. Uh, whether it was Vixen or Steel or even a few additional characters that for me, I didn't, you know, recognize from DC Comics, but who quickly became characters that I found myself going, I want to see more of them on the show. I think they add a great element to the story. I'm more intrigued and through that i've really had a great time with it and as you pointed out who doesn't love puppets if you don't love puppets you can just skip with that 15 second forward button until the story is over because we do and we've enjoyed it and i love the humor and some of the creepiness and overall what i think is the best part is that if you know anything about these characters from comics it's such a great way to see them spun up on their heads and then twirling like tops and if you don't know well what a fun way to be introduced to these characters and then later if they interest you get a chance to learn more about them by reading the great source material kind of a win-win situation in my book but clearly the weirdness will abound will continue is not going anywhere and i have to be honest i'm really excited about the fact that this is something that looks like a lot of fun and it's also Doing all of those great things that you really want. When something does a signature, I guess, a tone, or when something does something that sets itself apart and then it uses that to start building its own identity, you're really in for a treat. And clearly, season five is, well, all the treats you can handle. Mr. Parker. I can't wait to hear that story because I'm really intrigued how that's going to play out. I mean, he's Ray Palmer. So how does he become Mr. Parker? And how yeah, does I was that wondering all... <laughs> that too. <laughs> There's got to be a great story behind it. You know, maybe it's like, well, Parker's just more fan-friendly, viewer-friendly. Who knows? But I think it's going to be a fun romp all the way around. When it comes to more streaming news about your favorite characters, one who's become apparently something of a favorite is the sister of Starfire, Blackfire, played by Damaris Lewis, who recently it was announced will be up to series regular for the Titan season three. I love the quick glimpses we got from her in season two. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and what we might get to see more of from Blackfire? Yeah, I think I think that's very intriguing. And I really like that we're already getting information about the next season, even though the second season just wrapped. And, you know, thinking back on past episodes of this podcast before the second season debuted, we had a lot of news stories. So I expect that, you know, between now and, you know, over the course of the next year, we're going to hear a lot more about Titans 3. And I think that they really have a good foundation to build on for a third season, just like they did with the second. So this is a first bit of good news for the third season. So I'm ready to hear what else is going to happen down the line. I think it is a really great announcement as well. I'm, I'm pleased that as you pointed out, it was just two days ago that the, uh, 
the series wrapped up, right? Was the final episode, was it, or yeah, was it last? Was, okay. Yeah, it was, yeah. I've been a little scrambled. Um, I, I recently moved, and it's got me all discombobulated, boxes unpacked everywhere. And I, I, I got a chance to just sit down after I had the TV hooked up and sat down and watched uh, the season two finale and was trying to think to myself, did I just catch this? Has this been waiting? Have I been sleeping on this? And it was a really fun time for me. And the shots that we got that showed that Blackfire is now here on Earth and, and not very happy. And the way that she appeared sets up some really great potential for season three. It also got me thinking when you mentioned it, Brad, that before season two started, not only was there a lot of news coming out, but also there was some difficult news that came out. And it's impressive that season two ended up having, I think, such a positive response, in my opinion, and clearly has uh, the support of DC Comics and the DC Universe because they're already announcing these uh, developments for season three. And it looks like the difficulties that they went through have now allowed them to survive, move on, succeed, and look ahead, which is just about all you can do when you've had some troubles early on and you're doing your best to keep building. Um, I think it's actually also a really good sign that hopefully these continued rumors that have been coming out about the, the DC Universe app folding or there being issues about original content staying on the, the site are, are really actually something that isn't panning out to be true and probably shows that there's a bigger plan at play when it comes to where content will be and that it looks like overall DC is keeping Titans right where they are. I'm curious to see what the family dynamics going to reveal for season three, as well as everything else we had to look forward to. If you haven't had the chance to check out the full season of season two, if you haven't been watching Titans, well, now's your opportunity to binge it all the way through that Christmas holiday and then get back to us with your thoughts about this and a few other stories that we'll have coming your way when it comes to Titans. I'm sure this is just one of the first, as Brad pointed out, there were plenty before season two got started. Now, another show that is about to get underway on our screens and something we'll get a chance to see more of and talk more about recently had a teaser trailer. I'm talking about the new Stargirl show helmed by Jeff Johns. This was a very quick peek, but I felt like it captured all the right moments with two very important shots. Brad, what was your take overall? Yeah, uh, it was. It didn't show much, but I I like that that we're getting a peek of what it's going to be. So I was I was happy about that. But it really didn't really didn't give that much away. So I'm I'm interested in your take on it. Well, what really struck me was the fact that it focused on two shots. And the first was somewhat drawn out. And it was clearly a shot of feet dressed in different shoes. And a bit of giggling, I think, in the background. Followed by a, a wider shot that reveals that it was just four. And they looked so young to me. I thought, are they teenagers? Hold on. Are they teenagers? Yeah, it's, it seemed very high school to me. Yes. With the um, voiceover and everything, it did. It did. Uh, I got a high school vibe. Definitely. And young high school. I mean, I honestly yeah. thought all of these kids look like freshmen. So the first yeah. thing that I thought for me was, you know, what's really important here. None of them really says 
anything in that scene. There's the voiceover, but really it's just these four kids standing together. And I thought of myself as a freshman, shy, awkward, nervous, and what it would be like looking out at somebody else, even if you're standing with three of your friends or it's three people you don't know. That's an unnerving experience. So first I felt like it really pointed out how young they all were. And then the second shot is an appearance of Stargirl in her full costume and moving forward like she's about to take action or she's about to take her stance. And as she does that, I also felt the same thing. She's so young. And what also really stuck for me was that while I loved how great the costume was to uh, and and represented the classic um, comic book version that we've come to see with a couple little modern takes on it. It also pointed out that it was it was something for someone who was younger. It didn't feel uh, hypersexualized. It didn't feel overdone. It didn't feel too showy. It looked like uh, it looked like a really good costume that wasn't trying to do anything more than look like the comic book version it was based on. So I think those were the two things that really stuck with me. The initial shot, which showed me how young they are, but then also how young she looks in that costume. And because the costume doesn't try and do anything to make her look any older than she is, how that youth is probably like the, the main sort of theme that I got from those two shots. So that was kind of my take. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, key, you know, I think that I agree that they look young and I think that that's kind of smart. Um because when you start at the beginning of high school, that's so there's so much room for storytelling within those four years, you know, uh, back to the kind of Buffy verse. Buffy was like that because the first season started out kind of I think they were freshmen or sophomores and uh, it allowed for a lot of telling over those first four seasons within high school because it's such fertile ground for metaphors and things like that. So I, I think if they start them young, that'll give them a lot of room to work with over the course of more seasons as they, you know, as they come out. So I hope that the show does well so that they can continue. I agree. I think Buffy is a great example. That was a, a show where we got a chance to start with them still very young, still somewhat naive, but curious and somewhat worldly, or at least appearing to be knowledgeable. Um, I still remember that great Buffy moment when uh, the character of Willow says, yeah, and then I Googled her. And they had the young, uh, I can't remember his, his name, but the young male character who is kind of like comic relief. And he's like, I'm sorry, you did what to her? Xander. And yeah. is that legal? Yeah, Xander. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and and that was such a great little play on the fact of, you know, there's varying degrees of intelligence, of of awareness about the world and how that all informs this process of watching these very young people grow up right before your eyes and develop all these elements that will form the characters we'll get to know in a few years i also think it points to the fact that there's a recognition that younger actors have the chops to pull off compelling stories that aren't just cut and dried or that don't feel like there's something from a sitcom related environment that can only focus on very general ideas or simplified content. As we've seen with uh, concepts like Stranger Things or Buffy, as you pointed out, there is an opportunity to start with a relatively young cast and still deal with some very important topical uh, content 
that can be timely, relevant, and not something relegated to the kiddie end of the pool. So I think there's uh, a recognition that even though these characters are young, they're also going to be dealing with some pretty serious things. At some point, one of them is putting on a superhero costume and about to fight bad guys. So there's going to be some hopefully real world at play. And I also keep in mind the fact that one of the things that I feel has always been really important to the projects Jeff Johns has been involved with, even with Shazam, there is a recognition that the real world can be very dangerous and bad things can happen. And I feel that that's something that's going to come into play and going to feel even more harrowing because of the fact that these kids are so young. And if they're taking on a potentially dangerous, let alone life-threatening situation, I'm going to be going, they're too young. They shouldn't be out there doing this. And that's exactly the kind of concern any parent, any mentor is going to have towards someone who takes on something as dangerous as being a hero and watching it with these young actors growing up before our eyes could be a really amazing experience much like stranger things or buffy as you pointed out it it sets up a lot of great potential i'm intrigued and it starts with the uh the fact that we know jeff's been working hard on this we know that there's been some delays in order to get it right and that if they have well there's been plenty of projects that have had delays rumored to be on the outs and come back to surprise us let alone amaze us so I'm not ruling out Stargirl yet, and this trailer lets me know that good things are ahead. Now, when it comes to DC, plenty of other good things are clearly ahead for HBO's The Watchmen, which recently nabbed two nominations in the 2020 Writers Guild Awards. Um, I was pretty impressed by the announcement. Now, there were two awards Brad, which one was more important, more interesting? Which one stuck out for you regarding the uh, nominations they received? Uh, I think they both did, honestly, um, because I, I do think that the writing on the show is pretty impressive. Uh, not only the kind of social issues that it takes on uh, within the elements of the original source material, but also how it's written and how it reveals things is is very, very interesting. And it's kind of something like in ways that we've never seen before and i think that's really hard these days so i think that you know with both awards i think i think it deserves it i think that uh it, it surprised a lot of people and i think the writing is a, is a big reason why i mean it's you know it's the that and the score <laughs> but i think that <laughs> I, I i think that yeah i think that this this um there's there's definitely never been superhero fiction like it well i think that's a, a great place to start i certainly can't think of a superhero fiction that i've seen in in portrayed in this way let alone told in the way that watchmen is so far very impressively captured my attention and told a really original story but founded so strongly so clearly grounded in the universe that was created uh, initially by the uh, the comic book creators themselves, whether you're tying more of it to Mr. Moore, Mr. Gibbons, however you choose to, you know, make that decision or you just see it as that great collaborative genius. This is something that is very aware of the source material and the story it's telling. I, I could never have predicted this. And I'm, I think, two episodes away because I'm just waiting for those final two to drop. And the whole time I'm going... I couldn't tell you where this is going if I wanted to. 
And they're setting up plenty of things that should be telling me enough that I could. But it's also created so many times where I thought I didn't see that coming, that I feel like the unexpected is the only thing I can anticipate for this show. (laughs) You know, and it's funny because Daniel Lindoff or Gaiman Lindoff. I think I got his name wrong, but it's all right, he, man. I do it all the time. <laughs> but I think that he's learned a lot from Lost because I feel like Lost just kept building mystery and not enough answers. And one of the things that's brilliant about the writing on Watchmen is that it builds the mystery, but still give these answers and these clues and these hints. So the picture becomes clear, but more complex instead of more diluted and unfocused. And that, that's saying something. No, I agree. I think that's really important to point out. Um, also, I'm going to let everyone in on the mystery. Uh, I realized just now that we didn't mention which the categories were that it was nominated for. Watchmen has been nominated for both the drama series as well as for new series when it comes to the Writers Guild of America, uh, West and East. And those are two great categories. We didn't mean to bury the lead for you there, but apparently we're <laughs> so inspired by what Watchmen's been doing, we couldn't help but talk about the great qualities of this show and the awards it's been nominated for, and then eventually tell you what the actual nomination categories were. Uh, maybe it's just the influence of the show. Maybe it has something to do with mesmerism. Hmm. If you're watching the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, well, mesmerism might be something that gets you interested in watching the show. I know it's got me hooked. Clearly I'm not alone because Brad's been agreeing with me. And I think we were both probably drinking the Kool-Aid before the show came on. So we're going to take that into consideration. Um, Any final thoughts on this uh, announcement before we slide on to our next one, my good friend, Mr. Brad? Just if you're listening to this and you're not watching the show, watch the show. It's right. That 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 that's a pretty good endorsement right there. And I can't think of a better way for us to go ahead and stop segue, give you the opportunity to take a quick breather, tune in to one more ad break before we slide into our comic book news and our final segment of the podcast. You're on DC Comics News podcast episode number 49 with Seth Singleton and Brad Felicki. This is a quick ad break, and we'll be right back with Comic Book News. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman. The animated series week by week episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones i am the night and just like that we're back for our final segment this is comic book news right here on the dc comics news podcast episode number 49 And Brad and I are going to dive right in with the announcement that the creative teams have been revealed for Wonder Woman number 750. There's a whole mess of names here. I'm not going to just, you know, 
run them all down, butcher them like I do sometimes, like I've just put them through a wood chipper. Brad, what was your take on this announcement? What creative collaboration stuck out the most for you? Well, I just I I just like that they've gotten a lot of talent and from different eras of the character. Uh, it's that that is a really big treat for me. Um, DC's just got like such a good pool of talent right now, and I think it's very smart that they can draw from them to contribute to this and not just leave it like one person. I think it's I think it's smart and I'm going to be, you know, as we get closer, if there's going to be any news about what these stories that they're working on are about, I'd be very interested to uh, to hear that. Um, it's going to be, you know, fun to hear Scott Snyder's take on the character. So, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be definitely an issue that people are going to want to pick up. Yeah. Overall, it's, it's really interesting just to see everyone from Steve Orlando to Gail Simone, Mariko Tamaki. And, uh, I've actually really also been intrigued by what the Greg Rucka take would be. I've really been moved by what he's been doing in Lois Lane and I know of his experience with Wonder Woman and also how many things she can sort of put her finger on the touchstone of when it comes to public consciousness. There's something about the empathy that comes with Wonder Woman that allows her to tell some of the most vulnerable and honest and genuine stories. And it, it's a gift that you only get with certain characters. I feel like her, Superman, and a select few have that ability to draw us in through their really complex missions you know hers at times has been everything from peace to war and through it all uh there are so many ways to tell her story and as you pointed out one of the best things about this is the opportunity to tell her story through time with these great teams that have worked with her through so many important phases and one of the things that we've been blessed with is that Diana's story has been a really impressive evolution from her first incarnation to the more modern takes we have a chance to see. She's had a, a very complex mission, everything from peace to war. And through it all, she somehow never stopped being the amazing Wonder Woman that we know and love. I'm also really intrigued by these great covers, something we're going to get a chance to talk about more. Whether your favorite is uh, Travis Moore or Liam Sharp, who honestly, with the stuff he's doing with Green Lantern, I feel like the only way he can do justice with Wonder Woman is to have like 15,000 details, maybe 20,000. I don't know. But sometimes with some of these covers and pictures he does, I, I feel like the entire thing is built around the tiniest of details just popping out from the page. So whatever you take might be clearly uh, an amazing set of creative teams coming together to tell a story, as Brad pointed out, something that shouldn't be left to just one person and something we now through it get a chance to see this character reflected through time should be a really fun experience for everyone picking up their copy. Now the only challenge is which cover do you get? Because that moves us right into our next story, which is the announcement that the cover lineup for the upcoming number 750 has been announced and released and I'm not going to lie, my jaw was dropping, whether it's the one that starts out with her, like Atlas, holding up the earth, or every one that followed, Brad, what was your favorites? You know, a while ago, we talked about the fact that it's come out that DC, the characters are more popular than Marvel. 
Yes. And I think, <laughs> you know, one of those reasons, and I, I said at the time, it's because everybody loves Batman, and that's true to a point. But there is something timeless about these characters. And no matter what we're going through as a country or as individuals, they're always going to be something that we can relate to with these with these characters there's a, definitely a timelessness to it they stand for the big things the heroism the the real like you know like the the joseph campbell powerful statements and these covers do such a great uh, ca- great way of capturing her through all the different incarnations that she has been through from the golden age to the 60s when she was like a spy all of it and you know i'm, I'm right with you i have no idea which cover i'm going to get that's going to be kind of like a game day decision when i actually go into the comic shop i have no idea i like them all so i think <laughs> it's going to be something that i'm just going to it's just going to have to grab me at that moment to decide i agree which one i'm going to get <laughs> game day decision is probably the best example you can give because you're just going to walk in and hopefully your plan holds together, whatever it might be. But strong chances are you're going to look at one or two covers and go, oh, man, in person. Oh, man. And that's it. Game over. Everything changes. Um, I do know that you point out one of my favorite times, the sort of 60s spy with the, the different outfits and that one cover, very James Bond-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, it immediately, I thought to myself, I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm going to bug the guys at the shop right now. I'm going to fire off an email. I'm going to request that one. It's just done. But the other one, and I'm curious about what your response was, the the black and white pencil sketch by Jim Lee. I love Jim Lee's artwork, and I love it as pencil sketches. But, you know, I (laughs) – that cover to me – it seems like it would be something that's like a limited edition that's going to cost a lot right out of the gate. So – I can't say for sure, but I do. That that cover was amazing. His artwork is just just incredible. It like, was stellar. Ago, Both versions of it were yeah. just. I, I flip back and forth, and I'm like, ah, oh, crap! I can't even pick between these two. Yeah. Uh, you know, GameStop has had this kind of run of um, Jim Lee artwork T-shirts, and I I have all of them. And the one of the Justice League looked like a, a pencil sketch, and I just I love it. So yeah, that cover was. That's definitely on the possibility list as far as what I'm going to pick up. <laughs> like you said, you're not really sure what the plan is. It's going to mostly be a game day situation. Keep in mind, prestige format, it's going to be a, you know, a $9.99 cover price, but you get 96 glorious pages, amazing teams. I, I'm not going to tell you what your budget should be because I'd have to disclose what mine is. And that, my friend, is something I'm not revealing to anyone. Even my bank account is going to not know the truth. It's just (laughs) the way it's going to be cash only, baby. Um, (laughs) Now, of course, covers abound and covers delight. But inside the covers, that's where we find some of the most compelling stories that, that make us look at those covers in a completely different light, either for all the promise and potential they hold and show, or for all that we know is lying underneath them and the stories that exist behind them or that those covers tend to represent. When it comes to the content inside of a book, the chance to connect it to something bigger is one of the great things about comics. And this next announcement has to do with the fact that Marv Wolfman will be returning for a new Crisis on Infinite Earths story in a TV tie-in giant. 
So essentially, if you like what's happening on the CW and their upcoming crisis and you want more, well, guess what? There's a hundred page giant that will be coming your way. It's going to feature an iconic cover image by George Perez and it'll be there December 15th in stores. There's a 24 page main story, others to follow. Now, clearly I'm gushing about all the parts that caught my attention immediately. Brad, what got you about this story and what we're going to hear more about the crisis on infinite Earths television time? I love that Marv Wolfman's coming back. Uh, you know, as far as the big superhero uh, crossovers and big events, Crisis kind of started all of that, and there's never been anything like it since. Uh, it, it's probably one of the few that that effects can still be felt in DC Comics. This, you know, still to this day, and the fact that he's returning, I can't wait. And George Perez, I'm totally on board. This is, yeah, this. This will be one of those comics that I'm in line at the comic book shop and I'll start reading <laughs> before I even <laughs> buy it and take it out of the store. That I know that I know for sure. And that doesn't that's happen awesome. very often. <laughs> now, that's a great example to set. I know it's going to be so good. I won't even be able to make it out of the store before I start reading. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Now, if you're a fan of the Giants, as clearly Brad and I are, you're also going to be excited to know that Gail Simone will be returning for Birds of Prey Giant number one. This will be available with a 16-page lead-in by her on January 22nd. The story is titled Fight of Flight, and it's going to be illustrated by Anaki Miranda. Now, the story overall sounds like it's a perfect fit for this team. What did you think about the announcement, Brad, that we get Gail Simone back? I am so glad that she agreed to come back uh, that she, you know, because she was the one who really put Birds of Prey on the map. It was that series in the I think I believe it was like the early 2000s that, uh, you know, that kind of helped her make a name for herself. And it was just it was one of the kind of iconic series of that decade. So the fact that she's returning is good. She knows how to write. The Birds of Prey, and uh, it, she has the legacy, and I think I'd be I'd be okay if she wrote the whole entire 180 or whatever pages the Giant's going to be. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I think is great that you just mentioned there was the legacy concept, and I think there's something always amazing about once uh, a creator has had the opportunity, an artist or writer has had a chance to tell a series of stories or go through a process with these characters, that after they step away from it for a little while, there's always that question of, if you could go back, what would you do? If there's anything you weren't able to do, what would you try and do this time? And I think that really leads to an interesting opportunity because I feel like so often during the moment during whatever the situation might be, there's the stories you want to tell, and then circumstances dictate the story you're able to tell, whether it's politics, whether it's the opportunity to get the right collaborators, whether it's any other number of factors. Timing can be such a crucial element, and oftentimes it can mean whether the environment, the audience, the setting, anything is is right. And when it's just not there, you can't do everything you want to. Going back in gives you the opportunity to tell the stories maybe you couldn't talk about in 2000. 
And in so many ways, if you were to ask anybody or the early 2000s, if you were to ask anybody if we're different 10, 12, 15 years later, they're probably going to say we are. <laughs> and the stories you get to tell now with these characters you've already created so much history with, it, it can make for a really amazing experience, not only for you as the person telling the story, but as uh, it is for the audience who get the chance to see what you've come back with, what sort of perspective you've gained with that time away. Uh, having her leave things off seems like a really smart move. And then are you curious, or sorry, are you curious, are you familiar with any of the reprints that they mentioned? Batgirl and Birds of Prey number 14, uh, Gotham City Limits, Black Canary number nines, please, please, please let me get what I want, or a new talent showcase, Good Morning Gotham. Uh, not necessarily, but I like the title that's based off of a uh, Smith song. So uh, I, <laughs> I now I I, uh, I may once I reread it, it'll have it'll jog my memory. But off the top of my head, uh, no. I appreciate you pointing that out because for me that's always a challenge. Sometimes I can remember great stories, but remembering by their title isn't always the easiest for me. And sometimes I know a title because I have a recognition of it, but it's not until I've started reading the story again that I'm like, oh, right, I remember what that was about. That's right. This is good. Or, oh, this is something I can look forward to. So thanks for sharing with me, and I'm sure more than a few listeners, what it's like when you know a great story, you just can't remember the name of it, and it can be difficult. <laughs> um, if any or none of those stories jog your memory well just pick a copy of the issue read the new one from gail simone and then go back through history and re-remember all these stories you may or may not have read before now we're not quite done there are other bits of news that don't really fit into the movie streaming or comic book segment but still as part of the dc universe and sort of overall knowledge base. These kinds of stories can sometimes fill in the gaps, answer some questions, or raise some possibilities. And leading off that segment today for us is the announcement that DC publicity director Kelly Popham is jumping to Warner Brothers Television. She joined DC in 2013 after time at IMAX and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And she started out in publicity and communications. She will be heading over to a similar role at Warner Brothers. And overall, it seems like it's going to potentially lead to some connectivity between DC and uh, HBO Warner. Uh, what was your take on this announcement, Brad? Yeah, congratulations to her, for sure. I, I do think that she's going to have her handful, you know, because... Come spring, when HBO Max launches, DC is going to definitely play a part of that, and she's just going to have uh, – she's definitely – it's good, a baptism by fire. She's definitely going to have her hands full, and, uh, uh, you know, congratulations, but, you know, better get ready because it's going to be uh, a pretty big job, especially because she's organizing a lot of the Comic-Con appearances and things like that. And I'm sure next year there's going to be a lot that they're going to announce at things like Comic-Con. So it's going to be a definitely a busy job and an exciting one. So congratulations to her. 
Well, here's to what clearly will be a busy time. Hopefully, it's just full of all that excitement from a new position that you can't really notice how busy you are because you're so busy either having fun or trying to get it right or, you know, do your best job. And maybe that's the uh, the only sort of blessing or hope you can give instead of like a good luck. It's like, hey, you're probably going to be so busy. You're having so much fun. You won't even notice how crazy it is. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) At least that would probably be my take. It's like, well, the one thing I can hope for, I'll be so crazy busy. I won't even notice how chaotic or stressful or anything else it is. I'm not sure if I could handle that job, but it sounds like she's already done so many great things for DC that, you know, she's going to have all of that experience to take with her and use as part of, you know, juggling all these things you pointed out between all the different uh, convention appearances and all of the different things we have already sort of had a feeling will be coming out from HBO Max. Yeah, and it's not even just the DC stuff, obviously. Now that she's working with Warners, as far as Comic-Con, there's going to be a whole lot of Warners stuff that they're going to want to announce beyond DC. So, yeah, she's she's definitely going to have a busy year. Yeah, both hands full. I don't know if I could pull it off, but um, I'm looking forward to witnessing someone who can and showing us all the great things we can look forward to. One of those things that I'm looking forward to that thankfully she doesn't have to worry about, but we get to enjoy is the announcement that Burt Ward will be receiving his Hollywood Walk of Fame. If for some reason you've never made the connection, Burt Ward was the original on-screen Robin, and he will be making a appearance suit in the Crisis on Infinite Earths, but it seems like just as good a time as any, if perhaps a few decades too late to be giving him this star. Brad, what's your take on this announcement? I mean, I thought Burt Ward already had his star. Didn't yeah. didn't him and Adam West, like, you know, back in the 70s, shouldn't they have gotten this already? Catch me up here. Better late than never. Right. Um, and I do think that, that he deserves it. I think that there are still so many people out there when they think of Batman and Robin, they think of Adam West and Burt Ward. It was a lot of people's introduction to the character and still their favorites. Uh, and he's always been very gracious in the in his love of playing the part and relaying his memories and things like that. So, yeah, I think he, he definitely deserves it. So so good for him. I think it's about time. I agree with the about time, certainly echoing your better late than never. To be honest, I, I honestly paused and went, wait, he doesn't have it? I feel like yeah. I knew this and yet also still couldn't believe it then. I, I'm kind of stunned by the announcement. Um, but if you will be in the Hollywood area, you can show up on Thursday, January 9th, which is when you will see his uh, accolade placed right next to his late co-star, Adam West. A fitting pairing, if ever there was. And Brad, just to echo you, my friend, yeah, Burt Ward was my first introduction. I was just thinking about it, and one of my earliest memories is of he and Batman climbing into the Batmobile and snapping their seatbelts closed. <laughs> I actually yeah. think that I thought about that every time I put my seatbelt on and locked it. It was like, yep, just like Batman and Robin, man. <laughs> Snap, safe, time to rock and roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I think for anyone who wasn't aware of it, the announcement that he is finally getting a star is 
one of those things where you just think to yourself, well, yes, better late than never. Probably also it's about time. And at least he got it while he was still here to enjoy it and be recognized for it in the present as a memory he can always take with him. When it comes to memories, we hope this episode, DC Comics number... DC Comics News number 49 has been memorable. I know for me, it's actually been one of those reminders of how many times I can stumble all over myself like I just did. But hey, maybe I'm getting it all out of the way, number 49, in anticipation of that great announcement that we were talking about with number 50. We've got a guest star whose name I'm not going to reveal just yet because, well, that would just take away some of the suspense. And also an upcoming Q&A with a special guest outside of our normal routine and one you're going to want to tune into. Now, how can you do that? Well, we've made it really easy for you. See, DC Comics News is now on all the major podcast platforms. So whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play, all you have to do is head over, look us up, DC Comics News, Subscribe to the podcast, and then you can even rate and review. I'm pretty sure we're five stars. If you agree, tell us all the great reasons why. If you disagree, let us know, because we're always looking to make it better. If you've got comments, questions, support, anything else you'd like to add, choose your favorite social media platform. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, all you have to do is use that at symbol to tag us, DC Comics News. Also wanted to go ahead and let you know that you can keep up with all of the current and new content coming out from us when you subscribe, rate, and review. That includes the newest edition, our co-conspirator, Steve J. Ray, often on these broadcasts, has his new show podcast, I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic Batman, the animated series. Subscribe now and you won't have to miss out on this or any of our other great programming. Listening to me babble along and doing a great job of keeping me on track has been my amazing co-host, Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, when you're not here, where can all the fine people find you? I can see I can find me writing news and reviews at dccomicsnews.com. I can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. That's I-L-I-C-K-Y-B-1. And I'm your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me currently reviewing Lucifer for DC Comics News and also recording a weekly podcast called The Spinner Rack, my attempt to justify what I believe are my top five picks from DC Comics each and every week. If you're interested, all you have to do is subscribe to the podcast network and you'll never miss an episode. When it comes to finding me online, well, go ahead and look for me on Twitter at one more singleton. That's at the number one more singleton. Leave me a comment, leave me a question, or, you know, just say hello or a smiley face. Really, I'm open to any and all human contact. Otherwise, I'm left here locked up in this little cell with just the slit under the door to feed me food, which means all I get to eat is pizza and pancakes. <laughs> Sigh. So, leaving you now with my good friend, Mr. Brad Felicki, we have only one reminder 
left to share with you. And that is to always read, read more, more comics. comics. We did that pretty good, man. I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good about that. Josh is going to make us sound so much better. And in the meantime, we're going to fade out and there's going to be that cool, cool music behind us. Thanks, everybody. It's been a great show. Can't wait to chat with you next time.